Welcome to Homeland, 10 Stories, 1 Israel. Israel has brought together millions of Jews from across the diaspora in the world's most chaotic family reunion. This podcast is about what that really looks like. Though the series is fictional, each person is based on real stories shared with us by real people. The Jews of Ethiopia have a long history of resistance and resilience. They resisted their country's conversion to Christianity in the 4th century. They kept their faith during their centuries of persecution. And though they were isolated from other Jews for centuries, they never stopped longing and dreaming and praying for Zion. But when they arrived in Israel at last, it wasn't exactly what they expected. Edin Malaku knew it was cliché to complain that no one understood her. But clichés became clichés for a reason. And very few people in her life understood why she got so invested in her favorite books or TV shows. Why she spent all her time and money crafting elaborate costumes so she could dress up like her favorite characters. Why she regularly went to Tel Aviv to hunt for elusive comics and graphic novels. So Eden was used to being the odd one out. The only fanfic writer, manga reader, anime enthusiast. The only Israeli in online forums for people with her interests. The only black girl, like, everywhere she went outside her immediate neighborhood. She didn't particularly expect this American to understand what it was like to be the only one in the room. How could she when she wasn't even the only American in this shared taxi? But Eden also knew that Emily genuinely wanted to know about her. That her questions might be personal, but they wouldn't be prying. She wouldn't be like the girls who asked things like, Are you allowed to date white boys? Or, How long did it take you to do that to your hair? The sorts of questions that highlighted her difference. That wouldn't let her forget for a second that she was not like everyone else. No, Emily wasn't like that. Not to mention, Eden wasn't the only black person in the Sheirut. That helped too. <sighs> okay, go for it. Ask me whatever you want. She braced herself for something like, what's it like being Ethiopian, or what do you think of Black Lives Matter in the States? But instead, Emily looked at her lap. So, how'd you get into manga? You know what manga is? They're basically just Japanese comics, right? Like, sort of a cross between superhero American comics and fancy graphic novels? Yeah, exactly. But not just about superheroes. They come in like a million different genres. This one's actually a romance. Is it good? No. It's awful. I regret buying it. <laughs> How'd you get into this stuff? How does anybody get into anything? The internet. Is there like a scene here for stuff like that? Conventions? Cosplay? I wish. People here have no idea what any of this is. I'm surprised you know about manga and cosplay and things like that. It's not my thing, but I know a ton of people who are really into it. Either it's 100% normal, or I only hang out with nerds. Both are equally possible. You're so lucky. There's just nothing here. One comic book shop in Tel Aviv and one convention. And we literally have to bring in people from other countries to the convention because the scene here is so small. Is that why your English is so good? Exactly. If you're into something that isn't big here, you have to know another language, usually English. Well, 
your English is amazing. And I'm like in awe. You barely even have an accent. Thanks. I actually am proud of my English. I'd like to think if I ever went to the States or Canada, I'd blend in. Well, as much as I could blend in with hair like this. She gestures to her hair, which is a vivid blue. <laughs> I've been studying Spanish since third grade, and I'm definitely not on your level. Like, I can get around, but I definitely could not talk about high-level things. You're American. You don't have to. Everyone knows English. And Americans make all the movies and TV shows and music that people listen to all around the world. Why would you learn a new language if everything you want to listen to and read and watch is right there for you? I don't know. I guess to be a more well-rounded person? I mean, I feel guilty that I can barely order a cup of coffee here. To be fair, the country is full of immigrants. Stay here long enough, you'll pick things up pretty fast. It's true. My parents learned Hebrew really fast, like a matter of months. You wouldn't even be able to tell that it's not their first language. What language did they speak before? Amharic. There are others, but that's the Ethiopian language that most of the Jews here speak. So you're trilingual? No, I don't speak Amharic at all. Oh, sorry, that was a dumb assumption. No worries. They speak it when they don't want us to understand. So I know enough to know when they're talking about me, but that's basically it. Only my mom knows how to read and write in Ge'ez, the Amharic script. My dad left Ethiopia before he learned to read. Do you want to learn? Why? It's even less practical than Hebrew. It's not like I'm planning to go to Ethiopia. Really? No interest? My parents don't exactly have the fondest memories from there. I mean, they left for a reason, and it wasn't a smooth journey. Eden's parents rarely talked about Ethiopia. I was a kid, her father would say when she pressed to hear about his life before he came to Israel. Seven years old, I barely remember anything. Eden thought privately that her father must be lying. Either that, or he had the worst memory of all time. She remembered almost everything about being seven. Yeah, cause it was three years ago, dummy, her older brother Shai said when she complained of Abba's caginess. Abba's like 50. Of course he doesn't remember being seven. Ima burst out laughing. Oh, he's going to love that. Your father is 39. Kabede, she called Eden's Abba. Come hear how old our children think we are. Maybe Ima was more forthcoming because she had been older than Abba when she left Ethiopia. After all, she'd been 11, old enough to remember how her family had walked the 650 kilometers from Gondar to Addis Ababa, where 34 planes waited to bring them home. Eden had looked for her mother's face in the iconic photos of the Boeing 747s packed with a thousand Jews. Oh, I doubt I'd be able to find myself, Ima said. There were a thousand people on that plane. Can you imagine? A thousand people. And all of us crying with happiness that we were finally coming home to Israel. And then you kissed the ground when you got off the plane, Eden shouted. This was her favorite part of the story. It was just so gross. So out of character for her mother, whose insistence on cleanliness was the bane of Eden's existence. Then I kissed the ground when we got off the plane just like my parents were doing, Ima confirmed. We had been waiting for so long, thousands of years. 
I spent my entire life hearing, Israel, 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 Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. To see Ethiopian boys dressed in Israeli army uniforms, I couldn't stop staring. I had never imagined anything like that before. But that was the most Eden's parents ever said about Ethiopia. Doda Titi was the one who filled in the blanks for her. Eden loved when her Aunt Titi came to visit. Titi was loud and glamorous and funny, and she treated Eden's father exactly like an older sister should treat a younger brother, with a mixture of ridicule and fierce affection. Also, Titi was cool. She made movies for a living, though Eden hadn't seen any of them. They're not the kind of movies you usually show in theaters, Titi explained. They're films with a strong social conscience. What my sister means, Abba often said, is that they're extremely boring. And then Titi would smack him playfully, and everyone would toss out increasingly boring suggestions for Titi's next movie, and Titi would pretend to be mad. This Friday night, though, Titi's anger was real. Titi had come for a special Shabbat dinner, with a bottle of wine and a beautiful Kranz cake, chocolate oozing from the sides, to celebrate her niece and nephew's last day of school for the year. It was a beautiful evening in June, and Ima had all the windows open to let the breeze in. Unfortunately, this also let the yelling out. Eden and her brothers had been playing outside when they heard the first rumblings of trouble. You're a vulture, Titi, Abba said. I can't believe you're even thinking about this. Eden looked at her brothers, and though no words passed between them, they all hunched under the window to listen. But why not? Titi asked, frustrated. Don't you think it's time we told our stories? And what? Reaffirm all the stereotypes? Make us look pathetic? Your inferiority complex is showing, brother dear, Titi snapped. As is your cynical opportunism. Kabede, Titi, please, Ima said. Let's try to keep calm. Tell me, Tahunya, Abba said, turning to Ima. Would you be calm in this situation? Would you be calm if your sister wanted to turn your private life into some sort of spectacle? I don't think that's what Titi is doing, Ima said. I think Titi will be very respectful of the story. What would be respectful is if my sister listened to me when I told her no. It's my story too, Kabede, Titi shot back. Fine, Abba said, his voice frosty. Then tell it. Do whatever you want. But I refuse to be a part of it. I don't exist in the universe of this movie. Now, excuse me. He pushed his chair back and stalked out. Under the windowsill, Eden widened her eyes at Shai. Abba rarely got this angry. But Ima and Titi were still talking in hushed tones. Eden leaned in closer and strained to hear. Well, Titi said, looking at Eden's mother. Do you agree with him, Tahunia? Eden's mother sighed. You know Kabede. He's so proud. It's hard for him to talk about. Her voice trailed off. Everything. And you think that's healthy? Of course I don't think that's healthy. But he's my husband. What am I supposed to do? Go behind his back? Tell the kids everything and then say, Whoops, don't let your father know I told you. What's she talking about? Eden whispered to Shai louder than she intended because the next thing she knew, Titi was laughing. Well, Tahunia, I don't think you have much of a choice anymore. You can stop hiding now, kids! 
Titi called. We hear you, you know. Eden and her brothers shuffled back into the room. Think you're sneaky, huh? Titi asked affectionately. Mossad material? But Eden refused to be distracted. What doesn't Abba want us to know? She asked her mother, who looked at Titi, eyebrows raised. They're old enough, Titi said gently. Twelve, ten, eight and six. My siblings were younger than them when we... Her voice trailed off. Eden's mother shook her head. And then she told her children the truth. Oh my God, what did she tell you? I'm like on the edge of my seat here. It's really not a fun story. (laughs) Oh, is it too hard to talk about? Do you want to take a break? No, it's fine. This didn't happen to me. It was just weird to find out that my dad had like a secret past and not a good one. So, basics. What do you know about Ethiopian Jews? Uh, basically that they exist. (laughs) And there was some kind of airlift situation that they make action movies about, but that's basically it. I've never seen any of those movies. I don't need to see some version of this story with muscular white guys saving a bunch of sad, poor Africans, you know? Yeah, totally. The airlift part is true, though. A lot of Ethiopian Jews came to Israel in the 80s and in 1991. There were three operations to bring them. Moses, Joshua, and Solomon. Who names these operations? I've always wondered. (laughs) No idea. My dad came in the first airlift in 1984. He was seven. My mom came later in 1991. Did they know each other from before? Like, were they from the same village? Same region, not the same village. They actually met in the army. Israel's greatest matchmaker. (laughs) Exactly. So, back to your dad. What was his journey like? It was... bad. My mom told us the outline, but then later he told me exactly what happened, with details. Why do you think he started talking about it after so many years of not talking? I'm sure my mom, uh, encouraged him to talk to us. She's a social worker. She's good at stuff like this. Her entire job is like listening to people's trauma. It must have been really hard for him to talk about. Yeah, it was really hard to listen to. Especially because I was only 10. Yeah, I bet. But I'm really glad. It was like, I don't know, like the gates were opened. For a few months, we talked a lot about stuff we'd never really talked about before. Not my little brothers, but me and Shai and my parents. And my Aunt Titi. Like family therapy without the therapist. That sounds really good, actually. I can't imagine my family having really intense conversations about, like, trauma and stuff like that. Yeah. I think after not talking for such a long time, he was just, like, ready to talk. So... I'll tell you what he told me. But I feel like I need to give you a trigger warning or something. It's heavy. Thanks. Are you sure you're okay to talk about it? Yeah. This is the kind of thing we need to talk about more. So, here goes. After the disastrous Shabbat dinner, Eden tried to be normal around her father. Which meant, of course, that she ended up being incredibly weird... 
Why are you treating Abba like he's the Queen of England? Shai asked a few weeks later after Titi's visit. I'm just trying to be extra nice, she said. For Abba. It doesn't suit you. Go back to being your normal, horrible self. You're freaking me out. He ducked away before she could kick him. That's it, he said laughing. There's the monster. Shai wasn't the only one who noticed that Eden was being a little... different. Hey, booba. Abba said, sticking his head out the screen door that led to the patio, where Eden was drawing in the late evening light. He changed out of his scrubs, but he still had the exhausted, rumpled look that meant he'd had a long day at work. Hi, Abba. She jumped up to give him a hug, and he kissed the top of her head. Can I sit with you for a little bit? He sat down, not waiting for an answer. Did you have a good day at work? She asked. Abba was a nurse. Sometimes he came home with hilariously gross stories. Ima had banned him from talking about work at the dinner table. Sure, Booba. I saved a lot of lives. Hundreds, maybe thousands. All single-handedly, of course. Of course, she smiled. I wanted to talk to you about something, okay? Are you mad at me? Eden immediately asked. Of course not. But I am a little bit worried that you might be upset with what you heard when T.T. was here. Why were you so mad at her? Eden asked. And why didn't you tell us before about your family? Eden's Abba sighed noisily. <sighs> Booba, I want you to think about something for me, okay? What's something that you really, really want? Something you'd be really excited to do? She answered immediately. Go in a hot air balloon. A hot air... Really? Since when? I don't know. It's just cool, she said. Okay, Abba said, shaking his head. Okay, fine. So, imagine you're really excited for your hot air balloon. Your whole life. Everyone you know has been talking about someday we're going to go in the hot air balloon. Soon we'll be in the hot air balloon. You even pray in synagogue that you'll get to go in a hot air balloon. Okay, Abba, I'm not that excited about the hot air balloon, Eden said. I just think it would be cool. Abba sighed. <sighs> I'm not great with metaphors. Okay, forget the balloon. I grew up just absolutely in love with the idea of Israel. I don't know if you can understand because you've grown up here, but I can't remember a time in my life where I didn't know that we were Jews and we belonged in Israel. You understand? Edda nodded. Sure. It's our country. Exactly. It's our country. And the place that I come from, it was our country in a way because we'd lived there for thousands of years, but it also wasn't our country. We weren't welcome. The non-Jews had an ugly name for us. They called us Falashas, strangers. We had been there for longer than they had, there had been Jews in Ethiopia before Christianity even existed. But it didn't matter. To them, we were strangers, foreigners, people who didn't belong. Were they mean to you? She asked. The non-Jews? Yes, he said. They were... He rubbed the bridge of his nose. It was hard. But never mind that. Do you understand, Buba? what it's like to be in a place where you're not wanted, when you know that you have a home somewhere else, 
A place that's yours, that you think about every day. I think so, she said. Okay, so then how do you think we felt when one day we were told that we would be going to Israel? Do you think that made us happy? Yes, Eden asked. Yeah, it made us really happy. So happy that we said, we'll do anything. We'll walk through the desert to make it to Israel. That was our homeland, the place my parents had talked about with so much love and excitement. We knew it was going to be hard. We knew it was going to be dangerous, but we were all so ready to take the journey. It was worth it, because this was Israel. I understand, Abba, Eden said. Our trip was from Ethiopia to Sudan, and from there, we were told, we would go to Israel. But the journey was much, much harder than I ever imagined. We walked most of the way. My feet started bleeding on the third day. Every step I was in pain, but I didn't complain. I couldn't say anything. I had to help with my little sisters. I never knew you had little sisters, Eden said. I thought it was just Titi and you and Sion. Sion wasn't born yet, Abba said. I had two little sisters, Leah and Cabra. They were four and two. His voice was absolutely flat. Abba, you don't have to tell me, Eden started to say, if it makes you too sad. No. You should know it, he said, sighing. So, okay. It was a very hard journey. There were two very bad things happening in Ethiopia then, at the same time. First a famine, then a war. Eden nodded. She knew about wars. There was a war the year she was born. Her bedroom was the Mamad, the bomb shelter in every Israeli home built after 1992. Buba, war is always terrible. But here, we're so lucky. We have an army, we have weapons. We have the Iron Dome. When we walked from Ethiopia to Sudan, we didn't have any of that. We didn't have a way to defend ourselves. Did people attack you? She asked. Because of the war? Not us, he said. But there were other Jews who were attacked and killed on their way to Sudan. He took a deep breath. On top of that, there was hunger, heat. People started getting sick. And the journey was long. If you're fast, you can do it in two weeks, but we weren't fast. We had babies, grandparents. So it took us a long, long time. Too long. We didn't have enough food. My parents and grandparents stopped eating so they could give us their food. But everyone needs to eat, especially if you're walking all day, right? Eden nodded. And Abba continued. Little kids need lots of healthy fats and protein so they can grow. But we didn't have that. Leah and Cabra got weaker and weaker. Cabra was only two. She wasn't strong enough to walk, so we took turns carrying her. I don't know when she died. My father was carrying her. He wouldn't put her down. He kept carrying her. Even when we knew, his voice trails off. Eden can't say anything. 
she feels rapt and ill at the same time. We did all this because we wanted to be in Israel, he said. My parents wanted their children and grandchildren to grow up in a Jewish land with other Jews, and they wanted to be safe. They didn't want to be called strangers. They didn't want to worry that they wouldn't have enough food for their babies. They didn't want to worry that another war would come and they wouldn't be able to defend themselves. All of this will be worth it when we get to Israel, we kept telling ourselves. We were so relieved when we finally got to Sudan. We thought, this is it. In just a few days, we'll be in Israel. But that's not what happened. His voice grows hard. We were in hell for months. We were weak from our journey, and we all got sick. Cabra wasn't the only one we lost. My grandparents didn't survive their sickness, and neither did my four-year-old sister. Eight of us left Ethiopia. Only four of us made it here. He takes a deep breath. <sighs> Do you understand why I didn't want to tell you this? Eden nods. I think so. I still don't know if it's the right thing to talk like this with you. I still think that 10 is too young, but your mom says you should hear it from me. He smiles at her, but it looks like it costs him. I'm glad you're telling me, she said. I'm glad we don't have secrets anymore. Me too, he said. Do you have any questions? Anything you want to ask? Why did you get so mad at Titi? Why were you fighting? Abba sighed. Titi wants to make a documentary about all of this. She wants to interview people and hear their stories. Especially people who have... Uh, loved ones back in Sudan or Ethiopia. Like us. My sisters, my grandparents. They're buried there. And she wants people to know about how many Jews are still there. Under the ground, still waiting for someone to bring them home. But why were you angry at her? Abba sighed. <sighs> because she wants us to be in it. Me and her and your uncle Tsion, who was born in the camp. It's a miracle he lived. She wanted us to talk about our experiences. Eden, think about the worst moment in your life. And then think about everyone you know watching it on a screen. And then that's all they know about you. I don't want my patients in the hospital to watch a movie about the worst moment in my life and then ask me questions about it. You understand? Yeah, I understand. So I'm not going to be in the movie. I don't want to talk about it. But I'm not mad at Titi anymore. She's right that people need to know. I just don't want to be the one to tell them. I'll tell you and your brothers, and we can talk about it together, but I don't want to tell the whole world. Okay? Yeah, Eden said. I'm glad you're not mad at Titi anymore. Me too, he said. And you know, if you have questions, you can ask her what you want. She'll be very open with you. Abba paused and looked at his watch. Okay, we've got an hour before Ima gets home. What do you think? Let's get your brothers and get ice cream. I could use some. Yeah, she said. Me too. She kissed his cheek. I love you, Abba.
I love you too, Booba. The whole Sherud is staring at Eden, their eyes wide. But she seems calm, unaffected. I'm really, really sorry. That's... I don't even know what to say. Yeah, it was a weird summer. Kind of an awakening in a way. In what way? My Aunt Titi decided to make her movie, and I started tagging along with her to do some of her interviews. I talked to my parents a lot, and I just started noticing things. There were a bunch of protests that summer against police brutality and things like that, and I guess I just sort of realized that I was, you know, black in a mostly white country. You hadn't realized that before? Not really. I grew up in Netanya, in a mostly Ethiopian neighborhood. When I was little, most of my friends were black. I didn't feel, I don't know, different. What changed? I think it was hearing about everything that happened to my parents, especially to my dad. They suffered so much to get here. And they really tried to be Israeli, like the most Israeli. They learned Hebrew super fast. They were excited to be here. They just wanted to blend in. And they deserved that, you know? After everything they went through, people should have been, I don't know, throwing a parade. But that's not what happened. Nope. They had a hard time adjusting once they got here? They adjusted fine. It was the country that didn't adjust to them. It was... People just didn't take them seriously. It's almost ironic. In Ethiopia, the Jews were disrespected because they were Jews. And here, they were disrespected because they were Ethiopian. A lot of people didn't even believe that Ethiopians were really Jewish. What? Why? Because they'd been so isolated from the rest of the Jewish community for so long. They didn't follow certain laws. They didn't know about certain holidays. They had their own holiday that no one had ever heard of called Sigt. I keep saying they, because it doesn't feel like I'm talking about myself, you know? I don't feel any different from other Jews. That must have been so, so hard. It was. People didn't cope well, especially my grandparents' generation. Some people started drinking. There was even some suicide. After all that, to get to Israel and then kill yourself? It's awful to even think about. Oh my god. I'm so, so sorry. With everything your dad went through, it's honestly amazing that he turned out to be such a good dad. He is a good dad. I mean, he doesn't get me at all. But he's a good dad. From your story, it seemed like you were really close. In some ways. In other ways, though... (laughs) I started getting into cosplay when I was 12. I begged my parents for a sewing machine. At first, they were confused, but also like, Hey, this is smart. It's a practical skill to have. But when I started making wigs and stuff like that, or crazy costumes, they were like, What are you doing? What is the point of this? (laughs) They just think it's silly. Well, I don't think it's silly at all. 
I think it's awesome that you're so passionate about something and that you can sew wigs. That's crazy. I didn't even know you could do that. Um, not to go back to like the hard stuff, but can I ask you something? Sure. Are your parents happy they came here after everything? I don't think I can answer that. I don't even know if they can answer that. They're definitely, I don't know the word, not as in love with it as they were when they were little. Disillusioned? Yeah, like they expected something completely different. You know, they gave up everything and expected that this place would be welcoming. And it kind of was, but also wasn't. I mean, it was better than Ethiopia, but it wasn't what they thought it would be. Like when all the stuff about the blood came out, I think they were really upset. Sorry, back up. Blood? It was a big scandal like 25 years ago. Basically, it came out that whenever Ethiopian people donated blood, it would get thrown away. What? Why? Because they thought we all had AIDS or something. I don't know. That's so messed up. So you can't donate blood? Well, the rule was only for people who were born in Ethiopia, so I could have. But my parents couldn't donate it if they wanted to. Which they don't, because it's really crappy to feel like you're diseased or dirty or something. Because they don't trust their blood is going to actually be used. Uh, sorry to jump in and not to defend it at all, because it's a crappy policy and it sucks, but it was reversed a few years ago, so your parents could donate blood if they wanted to. At least now. Well, they definitely don't want to now. Because why did it take 20 years to reverse the policy? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not defending it. It's just... I'm just saying that's not how it is anymore. It's sad that this is progress. Like, it shouldn't have to be progress, but... That's what it is. I think it's the fact that they hid it. Why not just say, you can't donate blood? Why take someone's blood and then destroy it and lie? And there was other stuff too. Some of the women were given birth control shots. Not all of them. My grandma wasn't, for example, as far as I know. But that was a big scandal too. Like, against their will? I don't think they were forced at gunpoint or anything. I think maybe they just didn't know what they were being given. A lot of them. You go to the doctor for the first time in your life, and they test you for a bunch of stuff and give you a bunch of shots and say, Here, this is to help you and make you feel healthy. And they don't tell you what it's for. Wow, that sucks. Was it... It, it wasn't permanent, right? Like, they, they weren't sterilized. No. But still, to get a shot and then not know what it's for, especially with something like birth control? My parents grew up really cautious about doctors and medicine and stuff. I actually think that's why my dad became a nurse. Yeah, totally. I keep wanting to say I'm sorry, but I don't even know if that's the right response. I don't even really know what the right response is, other than this sucks. Which, I know, is very intelligent and articulate. Yeah, it sucks. So, are you happy to be here? In Israel, I mean? I don't know if it's better in other places. I see what's going on in the States. 
You have the same problems as us. Worse, actually. I think anywhere that I want to go, I'd probably feel a little bit like an outsider, either because I'm black, or because I'm from Israel, or because I'm an immigrant in general, or, you know, I don't know if I'm ever going to feel like I belong anywhere. Sorry to jump in again, but I think that's a normal thing to feel when you're 16. I felt like that for a really long time. Maybe, but I also think there's other reasons not to stay here. You know, like if I want to be a costume designer, I don't know how much work I'll have. This isn't Hollywood, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. Well, it's not Hollywood, but you are always welcome to come visit me in Texas. I'll take you to a comic shop. There's a massive one pretty close to my house. You're from Texas? What, shocked I left my gun and boots at home? I mean, yes. Hey, I thought this whole conversation was supposed to be about breaking down stereotypes. Yeah, but Texas? There aren't erotic Jews in Texas, too. We're everywhere. But this isn't about me. Back to Eden. I don't know if I have anything else to say, really. What happened with Titi's movie? I want to hear about that. Oh, yeah. It was actually kind of a big deal. Titi was so nervous before the movie aired. She had spent two years working on it, perfecting every detail, obsessing over the music, the archival footage, the interviews. Eden had watched it over and over, trying to notice all the little things that got Titi so riled up. But now, for the first time, the rest of the country would watch it. Turning on their TVs tonight, all of Israel could see the results of two years of TT's hard work, of painstaking interviews and painful revelations, and the little golden moments of triumph when something just came together. It's going to be great, TT, said Zohar, rubbing her back. Zohar was Titi's latest boyfriend. And unlike the others who had come and gone over the years, he actually seemed to be worth keeping. Titi beamed every time she was around him. Privately, Eden didn't really get what there was to beam about. Zohar was skinny, with red hair that curled in every direction, and two arms worth of tattoos. But he made Titi happy. That was all that mattered. The entire family gathered for this event. And for a family that couldn't go more than 10 seconds without cracking a joke or making some kind of smart remark, they were unusually silent as they watched. But there wasn't a lot to joke about. The interviews were heartbreaking, especially the one that closed out the movie. Titi, Abba, and their little brother, Tzion. Why did you decide to make this movie? A faceless interviewer asked off camera. Because my sisters and my grandparents and my father deserve to have their names remembered, Titi said. Because what happened in the past affects the present, Sion said. Everyone needs to know what we gave up to get here. We sacrificed for this country as much as anyone else. I didn't want to do it, Abba said from the screen. I wanted my private life to be private. But I also wanted to show my kids that it's important to be who you are without apologies, without caveats. We went through hell, and we came out on the other side. And I want them to be proud 
of their family's resilience. There was a hush as the screen faded to black. And then, the room erupted. Unbelievable! I cried the entire time. That was amazing, Titi. Abba, you were so good. Titi's phone was buzzing, buzzing, buzzing. Well-wishers, relatives, friends, interview subjects calling her to thank her and to cry and to squeal with excitement that they were on TV. And the news wanting to interview her about her vision, to find and bring back the bodies of the Jews who had died trying to reach their homeland. Titi turned to her younger brother, smiling. You know, Kabede, I hate to say I told you so, but imagine if I had listened to you and not made this movie. Imagine if you didn't bring that up every ten minutes, Abba retorted. But they were smiling. Through the tear tracks on their faces, they were smiling. So, did your aunt get her sister's, um, bodies exhumed? No. Not yet. This stuff takes time. And it's not exactly safe to do it now. But at least now people know about this, and maybe when it's safe, they can find my dad's sisters and bring them home. I think that would mean a lot to him, to know they're next to my grandma. Yeah, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, but my aunt is like sort of famous now, in a very small, specific world. She wouldn't get recognized on the street or anything. She sounds incredible. I want to meet her. You can meet her anytime. Seriously. Maybe you can do some kind of project together. Strangers who meet in a taxi by chance and end up having really deep, intense conversations. Sounds intriguing. And of course, at the center, a stunningly beautiful American who brings them all together. Of course. <laughs> Thanks for telling me about all of this. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. I don't talk about this a lot. Honestly, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about all of this. But this conversation, it was more and less intense than I expected. Yeah? What do you mean? I don't know. I just didn't know what you were going to ask. Sometimes people ask, they ask, questions because they're curious. But they're not curious about me, Eden. They're curious about the Ethiopian girl. You know, what does the Ethiopian think? Not, what does Eden think? So, thanks for not doing that. Thanks for doing the bare minimum? Yeah, you're welcome. Gotta love a low bar. Before anyone can say anything else, a phone begins to ring. Roe picks up and has a very brusque, short conversation in Hebrew. I have good news and I have great news. Which do you want first? He smiles at them, clearly enjoying his moment in the spotlight. Oh my god, just tell us. <laughs> okay, here is the good news. The towing truck will be here in 30 minutes. There'll be a new shared taxi coming to take us the rest of the way, finally. And the great news is, I don't have to drive it. A cheer goes up. It feels like the end of a long flight when everyone is clapping, relieved to come home. Aw, oh, man. I'm super excited to get out of this car, but I'm also, like, kind of sad. I kind of feel like I should take all your numbers so we can keep in touch. Why don't you give me your number so we can have you over for Shabbat? Yeah, we love having guests, especially ones who speak English. 
all of the passengers begin murmuring in agreement. Emily beams, repeating her number over and over. Soon, her phone is pinging endlessly with texts from Israeli numbers. This is Nahi. This is Matan. This is Galina. This is Ortal. This is Eden. Come by and meet my Aunt Titi. You guys, this is so nice. I'm honestly getting kind of emotional. Wait a minute, Emily. We've got 30 minutes left. I think it's your turn to answer some questions. What? Yeah, we've told you all our life stories, all our deepest, darkest secrets. It's only fair to hear yours. I mean, sure, I'm an open book, but I can't promise I'm a very interesting one. Homeland is a production of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Check out jewishunpacked.com for everything Unpacked-related, and subscribe to our other podcasts. Follow Unpacked at all the social media places like TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Just look for at Jewish Unpacked. And write to us at podcasts at jewishunpacked.com. This episode was written by Adi Elbaz and produced by Rifki Stern. Our team for this episode includes Adi Elbaz as Emily, Ore Nash as Eden, Gideon Kimmel as Matan, Eric Ransom as Nahi, and Cameron Nikad as Roe. Audio Magic was produced by Rob Perra. I'm your narrator, Ellie Schiff. Special thanks to Sarit Wuved. This show was made possible by support from the Coombe Family Foundation, the Crane Mailing Foundation, the Adam and Gila Milstein Family Foundation, and the Skolnick Family Charitable Trust. Stay tuned for episode 10, which tells Emily's story.